Today we wrap up our sermon series in Ephesians as we come to Paul's final words, which sum up, I believe, his entire letter, and it gives us the real issues that we face together as Christians in the world. Paul tells us, finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus has been centered on encouraging the church to live faithfully devoted lives to God amid a world that often dismisses God altogether. The end of his letter sums up his entire message throughout Ephesians that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the world. Now, it's important for us to know that Ephesus was the epicenter of magic and sorcery. In fact, if you go back and you read Luke's account of Acts chapter 19, you will find this because Paul's visiting Ephesus and all of this stuff is going on around him. And there were people there who were driving out evil spirits. In fact, a particular episode took place which caused both the Jews and the Greeks who were living there to hold the name of Jesus in high honor. And in doing so, many of them who were practicing sorcery brought their wizardry books and their scrolls, and they brought them forward and they burned them there in the city square. Now, this might seem foreign to us because we typically don't talk about demon possession or about evil spirits in our everyday lives. If that's the kind of conversation that we have around the, the dinner table or with friends, well, they might think we're a little weird uh, talking about that. Uh, many of us probably don't know anyone who's a witch or who practices sorcery because we live in the Bible bet and most of us go to church, right? And that's what we know. In fact, most of our knowledge of the supernatural, I believe, has to do with what we watch on TV. But it's interesting how things have changed so much over time. In Paul's day, the spirit world was something that everyone recognized as real, and they also feared it. And today, we watch television shows like Medium or Paranormal State or These Woods Are Haunted and Ghost Hunters, just to name a few, and we're intrigued by them but also not necessarily convinced that it's real. There are some people who are unafraid to go and meet with palm readers or psychics to figure out what the future might hold for them. And as opposed to Paul's day, many today see spirits as helpful, especially those of dead relatives who are trying to reconnect with us in this life. But when it comes to evil spirits that seek to invoke harm or to cause pain and suffering in our lives, many people, including Christians, refuse to believe. And now, let me clarify what I'm trying to say here. Most Christians will say that they believe in the devil or they believe in Satan, that he is real. But when it comes to admitting that demons are the cause of our emotional, spiritual, or physical problems— Many are very skeptical of that because we try to explain things with science, don't we? That's what rational, intelligent people do. We look to science for everything, but Paul in our scripture today pushes us beyond that and tells us that we need to believe in the invisible forces of evil that wage war daily upon us, those things that we cannot see with our own eyes. And he tells us that our struggle is not really against one another, 
but that it's against evil, against the devil. Theologian C.S. Lewis, many of you may be familiar with him, he wrote a book once entitled The Screwtape Letters. And this particular book is written uh, very differently from a lot of the other things that C.S. Lewis writes because it's written from the, a head demon whose name is Screwtape. And he writes to his nephew, Wormwood, who is also a demon. He's an understudy, and he's learning from his uncle how best to tempt the person that's been assigned to him. And within the book, he calls the person the patient that they're dealing with. And he also talks about the enemy within the book, and that is God, okay? So Lewis writes this in one of the chapters of his book. He says, My dear Wormwood, his nephew, I wonder you should ask me whether it is essential to keep the patient in ignorance of your own existence. Our policy for the moment is to conceal ourselves. Of course, this has not always been so. We are really faced with a cruel dilemma. When the humans believe in our existence, we lose all the pleasing results of direct terrorism and we make no magicians. On the other hand, when they believe in us, we cannot make them materialists and skeptics. Lewis acknowledges two opposing problems. One, a total disbelief in demonic activity in the world, which says it's not real and it doesn't exist. The other is a real belief in it to the point that it's unhealthy for us and we're taking such interest in it. He calls the materialist the one who doesn't believe in demonic activity. And he calls the magician the one who does, those who are intrigued and, and love the magic that takes place. And I really think that Lewis sort of hits the nail on the head. Even though this was written a long time ago, it's still true for us today. You see, if we believe in a God who is good and who is loving and comes to save us, then we must also believe that God has come to save us from something. And that something is the very thing that has turned us away from God to begin with. We speak of sin as the culprit, but sin has a name, evil. And that evil is attributed to the devil, or in Scripture in Genesis, the serpent who betrays Adam and Eve, or in Job, Hasatan, the Satan, or as Jesus calls him, the devil, the deceiver. You see, Jesus in his own ministry acknowledges that evil exists. It's Jesus who frees people who are oppressed by demonic activity, possessed by them, and he casts them out of them, freeing them. And the demons that he encounters are fearful of Jesus when he shows up. We also read in the Gospels that Jesus was tempted for 40 days by Satan in the wilderness and never succumbed to his deception prior to his ministry. And later on, as things turn, as Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem to die on the cross, he gathers with his disciples, and it is Peter who speaks to him and encourages and tempts him not to die on the cross, and Jesus calls him Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan. Talk about an insult, right? It's that temptation to avoid the very thing that he's come for. You see, Jesus' life and his ministry is to reclaim what is rightfully his. And that is us. In John's gospel, Jesus speaks to the unbelieving Jews who strongly opposed him, telling them this. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. 
He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Later on in John's gospel, Jesus speaks of the devil as a thief. And he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And then in the Lord's prayer, as his disciples are asking Jesus, well, how are we supposed to pray? Jesus concludes his prayer by saying, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But actually, go back and read it. It says, the evil one. We have changed it up a little bit to make it a little bit nicer, I guess. The evil one. And so, Jesus acknowledges Satan, he acknowledges his demons, and he combats them in his own ministry. And so if Jesus does this, we must be wise enough to acknowledge that Paul is actually right about our struggles against the rulers and the authorities and the principalities and the powers of this dark world, the spiritual forces of evil that exist. In fact, we must listen to Paul, that together as God's church, that we should stand firm against the devil's schemes. And so Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God, and Aaron brought out her helmet and some of these things. We can look at this imagery of a Roman soldier in which we see a soldier ready and armed for battle. This is the metaphor that Paul uses to get across what we are supposed to do. It includes the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, shoes that are quick to spread the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We get these images that Paul gives us. But I think it's important for us to understand something here. Everything that Paul is sharing with us, this metaphor of armor that we put on, is really not armor that we have to put on. It's not something that we somehow have to do. You following me? We aren't literally putting on armor to get ready for each and every day. Instead, we're called to live into the mighty power of God that Paul speaks of in verse 10. This power has absolutely nothing to do with our own abilities to resist the devil. The truth is, we stink at that. (laughs) We can't do it by ourselves. It's living into the life that we have been called into Paul would call it resurrection life, a life lived within the Holy Spirit of God. Earlier on in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul speaks of not grieving the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And essentially what Paul is telling the church is that we have a tendency as human beings, sinful human beings, to get used to a certain way of life, the sinful way of life, and that we're to purge that when we become followers of Jesus Christ, that we have to put away these things that no longer matter to us because we're following God. He says to get rid of them, but literally what Paul is saying, literally, and your Bible will say it this way, get rid of, that would be you get rid of, you do something about it, but that is not what it says in the Greek. What it says in the Greek is let him take away anger, malice, greed, you name it. And that hymn is in reference to the Holy Spirit. That together as God's people, putting on the full armor of God is living into 
the life of the Spirit, to tap in to what God has already given us Himself that lives and dwells within us. If we're going to armor up, we're to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out. But here's the rub. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. he says, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Of light. Here's the thing. Satan's not going to advertise things that are bad for us. All right? If he really wants us to do things that will push us against God and turn away from God, he's not going to advertise things that look bad. He's going to make the things that are bad for us look good. <laughs> okay? And it kind of reminds me of fishing. Many of you know that I enjoy fishing. And when I go fishing, part of my job as a fisherman is to deceive the fish. Right? When I go to catch a fish, I am going to put a lure on my fishing pole that is going to look like something natural in the water that a fish would like to eat. And when I cast my rod out there to catch that fish, I know that it's not real, but they don't know that it's not real because inside that little lure is a hook. And what I'm praying for is for them to reach out and grab it. And in doing so, they're going to be surprised if they do because they're going to find that they've been caught and that it's led to their demise. That's what fishing is. But in the same way, this is exactly what Satan and his demons do to us. They lure us with shiny things principalities and powers that seem beautiful and pleasing to the eye, but ultimately will cause, cause harm and pain and suffering in our lives. You don't have to look far to see that in this world, do you? Look at marriages. I see it happen all the time in marriages. You know, one out of two marriages end in divorce. Did you know that? One out of every two marriages. 50%. That's terrible. And there are all kinds of reasons for that. Sometimes it's just frustration over the little things that just build up over time and lead to arguments. Then there's this refusal to forgive or a stubbornness that exists to change. Sometimes it's falling into temptation of another who seems beautiful and great and even better than the person that we have. We somehow think that the grass is greener on the other side until we get to the other side and find out that that grass has just as much weeds as we had in this grass. Marriage takes work, and sometimes people just want to hit the easy button rather than being committed to work through our problems. Satan loves that. Relationships between friends and family members become divided because of jealousy or differences of opinion or manipulation of one another and arguments over things that really don't matter in the grand scheme of things. Politics has become the devil's playground, a lightning rod, and we've allowed it to define who we are and who we are against. Siblings fight over their parents' love. Or as they get older, over their belongings when they die. And they allow greed to consume them, and then they never speak again. Temptations come our way that seem pleasing and enjoyable to us. And we think to ourselves, well, just trying something once can't be addictive, and it can't hurt anybody else. And yet, I just read that the CDC 
revealed that over 70,630 people died in 2019 from opioid overdoses, and that since 1999, 841,000 people have died from that. Addictions, they're deadly. Alcoholism, it destroys families, destroys marriages, and combined with reckless driving, it's torn other families apart, had nothing to do with it. Drug addictions have caused many people to lose everything and damage the relationships they have with the people that they are very much closest to. The love of money is the demise of family relationships when mom or dad put their career ahead of their children or their spouse. And let's not forget the senseless shootings at schools and malls, concerts, movie theaters, and this past week at a grocery store. These are often related to getting even or gaining fame. You see, if we get the picture rightly, all that glitters is not gold. Satan and his demons are working on us every single day, desiring to turn us away from God, seeking to destroy us. That's the bad news. But we're people of the good news. And friends, today I tell you that the good news of the gospel is this, that the battle over Satan and his demons has already been won for you. Amen? It has been won in what Christ has done for us on the cross and through his resurrection. He has defeated Satan's power over us and the sin that holds us captive and imprisons us. It is gone. It no longer has any power over us. We have a way to stand firm in Jesus Christ, to abide in him as he abides in us. And we do not have to fall for the devil's schemes and methods and tricks because we have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. And rather than grieving the Spirit of God, rather than trying to hold on to these things that keep us from following God, we're to let the Spirit transform our lives and say, we need help. Help me. Help me let go of this so that I can live for you. That is armoring up. That is putting on the full armor of God, welcoming the Holy Spirit to lead us into resurrection life. When Jesus was raised from the grave, he said, I want you to be resurrected too. And I want you to walk like me. In fact, in Galatians, the Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, we're to keep in step with the Spirit. Each day that we're to walk with the Spirit of God, like, like God's walking right next to us everywhere we go. And he says, you were to let the fruits of the Spirit live within your life. Allow the Spirit to work. And that's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit. They already exist within you because God lives in you. You don't have to pray for patience. You have to practice it. You don't have to pray for self-control. You have to practice it. God's given it to you as a gift. And so Paul encouraged us to pray in the Spirit, to pray as the Spirit directs us at all times, in any place, for ourselves and for one another. Because there is a war that is going on that we fail to see. This means that we have to armor up. We have to tap into this abundant life, this resurrection life that Jesus has given to us. And in doing so, we resist the devil's temptations and schemes. 
that are thrown at us every single day. And so often we get it wrong. We think that our struggle is against one another because I don't like you or what you said to me. It's not against one another. It's against what the devil is trying to do. It's against the demonic forces that wage war against us daily. And here's the other blessing, church. We have been called collectively to stand firm, not just as individuals, but as one body, Christ's church. Isn't that what Paul's been talking about in this letter as we've been reading it? That we're one, right? Created by one God, called to be one together as the church. And so together we exist to support one another, to help each other when we're struggling, especially when we've been deceived by the demons and we have taken a step backwards. That happens. It happens to all of us. And the truth is, is the church isn't filled with perfect people. That's a lie. It's filled with people, sinners, who are saved by grace and who struggle and who will ultimately be victorious because of Jesus Christ at the end. And the biggest deception, and this is really important, the biggest deception is that somehow we must have it all together to show up to worship and to participate in church together. That we got to clean ourselves up before we get here. It's kind of like those of you, and I know people do this, that you have someone to come clean your house, and what do you do? You clean your house before the cleaner of your house comes to clean your house right? So if we can do that in our own homes, do we not think in our minds that we got to clean ourselves up before we show up to church? We got to have it together. That is a lie. (laughs) That is a lie. Just as Jesus told Peter and Luke that we read together, the devil desires to sift us like wheat, to shake us up and to spread us apart. But if we're the church called to hold together, to stand firm. Turn on the National Geographic channel and you'll find images and videos of the wild. I like to watch that every now and then. And these lions will attack animals, right? And they're always looking to find one who's what? Alone. But it's much harder for them to attack one that's alone when the herd is together. Paul calls the church to stand firm together as one, and that together we don't listen to the voices that tell us that we're not good enough or that we're not worthy enough to be forgiven by God, that we don't have to clean ourselves up before we come into God's presence. The truth is is that Jesus sought people every single day whose lives were a mess, and he hunted them down, and he called them into his grace. And as the church, we confess together Because the truth is, we're a mess. Or maybe better said, we're a work in progress. The gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to sanctify, to to make us holy, to be set apart, to be different. That's why we're here. And we come because we need one another, and especially Jesus, and we need the help of the Holy Spirit to continue to mold us like clay into the image of Christ every single day. And so today, friends, I want you to believe the good news that you and I are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift, says Paul in Ephesians. You don't deserve it. 
but God gives it to you because he loves you that much. And every day we are daily recipients of his grace from a well that never runs dry. So today, if you've been deceived and felt as if you've not done enough to warrant God's grace, then I want you to know the truth. And I want you to accept it with open arms because it's free and it's given to anyone who wants it. If you come into church this morning thinking, I don't have it all together, I'm struggling with sin in my life, well, I got some good news for you too. You're sitting in good company because there's not a person in here who's not struggling. That's who we are. And yet we're called by Jesus Christ together. That God holds us and will not let us go, even as we struggle. Sometimes I think church would be far easier if we just admitted everything. If we just confessed that we don't have it all together, rather than trying to get our Sunday best on and show up and pretend that we do. But we're here because we don't have it all together. But we're also here because we have witnessed and experienced the way, the truth, and the life in Jesus Christ, who has redeemed us and who has saved us from death to life. And he has given us resurrected life so that we might live for him and bear witness to his goodness and his good news as a light shining in this dark world. And so today, friends, my prayer for us is that we would not be ignorant of the realities of evil at work around us every single day. Instead, that we would armor up together, praying for the Holy Spirit to be at work sanctifying our lives so that we might be ready for the fiery arrows that will come our way. And they come every single day. But together, together as the church of Jesus Christ, may we stand firm in our faith by the mighty power of the Lord who has called us, resisting the devil and his demons and reaching out to those who have been imprisoned in the darkness so that they too might experience the mighty power of our Lord and Savior who gives resurrection life freely as a gift. God has created us to be a blessing, not just to receive his blessings, but to also be a blessing So as we pray for the Spirit to work within us, may we pray that the Spirit would lead us to share that good news. Because there's a lot of darkness, and there's a lot of evil. But friends, the good news is there's also a lot of good. A lot of good. Because of God's goodness and God's call in our lives. May we armor up and go out and live that and share that with one another. Friends, may it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.